Today's sermon's text is Romans 8, 5 through 9. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the scripture have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If in, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. We're also going to read from Joshua 1.8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. We're also going to read from Psalms 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But those, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whether they do, whatever they do prospers. We're also going to read from Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. This is God's word. Thank you, Cheryl. Good morning, saints. It's my pleasure to be here with you once again to communicate God's word. Um, the title, the title of today's sermon is "A Mind for God." A mind for, for God. And you can see that theme as she trafficked through the scriptures this morning, the theme of the mind um, being filled with God's word and truth. Um, let us pray, call on the Lord for help. Um, King Jesus, Lord of all heaven and earth, um, we ask you to continue with us today as you have already made yourself present. I'm just reminded of the song that says, I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. Um, I know that you're here with us today. I ask you, um, as um, my ultimate desire, that you would bring your kingdom on earth, that you would cause your name to be honored on earth the way it is in heaven, that you would cause your will to be done on earth the way it is in heaven, and that includes in us as it is in heaven. Lord, your word says that man should not live by food alone, but by every word that comes out of your mouth. And I ask you to sustain us today by your word. Amen. Um, I have three points today um, as an outline. The first point is the kind of change we want. The kind of change we want want. Um, my second point is, where do we start? And lastly, 
I'll present a call to remembrance of what we've just um, talked about. So the first point is the kind of change we want. The second point is where do we start? And lastly, a call to remembrance. In, in 2010, Dave Brailsford um, was given the responsibility and the privilege of becoming the general manager and performance director of Great Britain's cycling team, the professional, professional cycling team. That cycling team is called Team Sky. Prior to 2012, no British cyclist has ever won the Tour de France. Anyone familiar with the Tour de France? It is a three-week-long race over 2,000-plus miles. So Brailsford was hired to help change this status. Since no British cyclist has ever won the Tour de France, he was hired to change this status. And they believed in the benefit of marginal gains, consisting of making 1% improvements in whatever you were doing. From his understanding, if the team improved in every area of cycling by just 1%, then those small gains in time will result in substantial impact. To begin, they started making incremental changes in things like nutrition, the kind of tires upon which they rode. They began making changes in things as simple as how to wash their hands, to have good hygiene. They looked for every way they could improve by a measure of 1%. Everything from sleeping to hygiene. And Dave believed that if they could be consistent and execute this strategy, then Team Sky could position itself to win the Tour de France in a period of five years. He was badly mistaken. They won it in three. Sir, Black, Sir Bradley Wiggins of Team Sky became the first British cyclist to win the Tour de France in 2012. Furthermore, Dave coached the cycling team at the Olympics to win over 70% of the gold medals. It's a big deal. And again, in 2013, another Tour de France victory. These feats have been referred to by many as some of the best in cycling history. The best. What's the point of this story? Here's the point. So often, we overestimate the importance of big successes by not taking into account consecutive incremental changes, the daily habits which lead to the big wins. So often we overestimate the importance of big successes by not taking into account consecutive incremental changes, the daily habits which lead to the big wins. Practically, every habit you have, whether it's good or bad, is the consequence of several small decisions made over a period of time. Practically, every habit you have, whether good or bad, is the consequence of several small decisions made over a period of time. Now, what if we remembered that every time we wanted to make a change? Small, incremental progressions. What if we remembered that every time we wanted to make a change? Now, habits, we know, they are not built overnight. And neither are they replaced overnight. We'll either sustain a habit or replace it through consistent, intentional decisions made one after another. Consistent, 
intentional decisions. So what kind of change do we want? We want the kind of change, the kind of transformation that becomes programmed into our bodies. That's the kind of change we want. The kind of change that becomes automatic, that's programmed into our bodies, producing sustainable change. And if that's the kind of change we want, then it is necessary to cultivate habits that will lead to sustainability. What are habits? Habits are the mechanisms which enable us to make actions become automatic. Automatic. An example of a few habits that have become automatic for us all, resulting in sustainable change, are the habits of dental hygiene, the habits of reciting our alphabets. All around the world, there's a common song for those who are beginning to learn how to read. Letters are different, but the theme is consistent. And the sound, very similar. How many of you learned the alphabet song? So, play my game. I'll start, and I'll stop as well. <laughs> A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. Now I know my ABCs. Next I want you sing with me. Wow. <laughs> wow. Some of you guys been out of school a long time. <laughs> Look at that. That was effortless. Effortless. That is the result of consistent, intentional decisions made over a period of time. That's the power of habit. And today's conversation is about how that relates to the spiritual life and transformation in the kingdom of God. What we're going for is effortless obedience. It's amazing, huh? Wow. Good job, guys. <laughs> mm. So, no habit is constructed apart from a plan. Concentrated intention, consistency, and anticipated failure. You plan on it. No habit is constructed apart from a plan, concentrated intention, consistency, and anticipated failure. You plan for it. You plan to mess up. So no habits are constructed apart from that. Today we are continuing our series titled Putting on Christ, also referred to in Scripture as renewing the mind, being renewed in the image of God, putting on the new self, becoming, being a new creation. So putting on Christ is referred to as those things within Scripture. Um, Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, it says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, 
implied with its practices, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. So he says, don't lie to one another because the old you have been, has been displaced along with it, the practices that accompany that person, that self. And he says, now that you're in Christ, you have put on a different self, a new self. And with that self comes, as the old self, new practices. And through knowledge, and in this context, knowledge is not just information gained. It's the knowledge that's gained through experience, through doing. And so as we put into practice the things that we're learning, we find ourselves becoming more and more like God putting on the image of Christ. So God has an aim, and his aim is that we should relearn in his power, in his presence, in his companionship with us, that we relearn to be his image bearers. That's God's aim. God's aim is to bring us to such a place that we will reflect him into the world. That's what you were created for. That's what I was created for. That's why Jesus came, to renew that, to renew that in us. He jump-started the project of making things new, and he began with you. So where do we start? Where do we start? Practice is an integral part of what it means to live supernaturally. Have you ever considered that? This probably hasn't crossed your mind, or maybe it has. Practice is an integral part of what it means to live supernaturally. And you know when you're practicing something, it obviously takes time, correct? And not only time, but effort. It takes time and effort. And in our efforts, which are at many times accompanied by weaknesses... In those moments of weakness, we can anticipate the power of God coming to our aid. And when I say the power of God, I I mean, I don't mean this um, invisible force. I mean the ability of God coming to assist us. Uh, That's why God has given us his Holy Spirit, who is called the helper, to help her. He's there to assist us in God's mission of conforming us into his image. So you have an assistant with you all the time. So our efforts are accompanied by weaknesses. And in our weaknesses, we anticipate, we look forward to God coming to help us. He's coming to help us. So his ability, his power completes its agenda in my weaknesses. That's what the scripture means when you hear the scripture say, his power is made perfect in weakness it means that God has an agenda to perform in your life. And in moments of weaknesses, he has the opportunity to execute that power. That's why proud people cannot become Christ-like. We have to humble ourselves. And through that humility, we receive assistance, power. We experience the ability of Jesus. So today we'll discuss what it means to live by the Spirit and how that relates to renewing the mind. So here's a question. How do we, how do we begin to uproot instinctive, destructive practices? How do we begin to uproot instinctive, destructive habits? Are we hopeless in the arena of practical, observable righteousness? Are we hopeless in that? If we are not hopeless, then how do we move forward? How do we move forward? Now, generally, in Christian culture, 
the avenue for inducing and bringing about change has been the dis dissemination of knowledge. Generally in Christian culture, the avenue for inducing, bringing about change has been the dissemination of knowledge. So it is assumed that the more you know, the better you become. And I don't have to state or expound on how ridiculous that is. Because you know it. I said I wasn't going to preach this morning. Okay. I said I'm going to teach. Slow and methodical. Okay. I said that, didn't I? I'm trying. So we have assumed that information leads to transformation. We have assumed that. And furthermore, um, this kind of thinking has conditioned us to take a passive approach toward change. Because Christian culture has conditioned us. Like, the more you learn, the better you become. You will change if you know enough. And so what do we find ourselves? Reading multiple blogs, trafficking through several books, devotional life. So this approach has led us to taking a passive approach toward change. Change internally in our hearts and visibly in our behavior. And this passive approach toward change is contrary to the scriptures and contrary to the life modeled by Jesus. Furthermore, it downplays the reality that God has given us dominion over the earth, our bodies included. This passive approach toward change has downplayed the reality that God has given us dominion over the earth, our bodies included in that dominion. A dominion that has been renewed in Christ, renewed in the new creation. It has downplayed that reality. Saints, is, is a new creation in Christ, even now, you're in training for reigning with him forever. Even now. And so this approach toward change has really cause us to not live in the reality of ruling with God now, preparing for the day when we'll, we will rule with him forever, even now. And so, as you exercise your will to choose what is good and right, in that sense, you rule with God in life. As Romans 5.17 tells us, you get to rule with God in life. And that comes, you participate in that rule when you exercise your will, which is a factor of your dominion with God, when you exercise your will to choose what is good and right, you're doing what God does. You're, you're being like God when you do that which was what you were created for as his image. You're God's Polaroids of himself. I didn't say selfie because you can't hold it. And so as we, as we participate with God in learning how to choose what is good and right, we're ruling with him in life, ruling with him in life. You know, the scripture says that God is going to give us a kingdom one day. In Matthew 25, he speaks about um, the righteousness of his people. And he says, enter into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You don't get a kingdom unless you're a king and a queen. That's why you get a kingdom, because you rule. You're ruling. Man, that was, that was 
outside of where I was intending to go. Um, There is no such thing as ruling passively. And the culture has taught us that we should take a passive approach toward change, not taking into account that you've been given dominion over the earth, which includes over your body, a dominion renewed in Christ. And now you get to learn how to live as a king and a queen, ruling with God through making decisions that align with justice. That's what you were created for. So that passive approach toward change is contrary to God's plan. There is no such thing as ruling passively. However, the mind, the mind is an important instrument on the path to transformation. The mind is an important instrument on the path path of transformation. And when I say renewing the mind, what I mean is, and what I believe the scriptures mean, is creating new patterns of thought. Renewing the mind, creating new patterns of thought. As Cheryl read in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed how by creating new patterns of thought the renewing of the mind that word transform is the word for metamorphosis think butterfly you know he's a worm it's a worm And it comes to a stage in its life when it thinks it is over. The world is over. Can't go any further. And it comes out something else. Out of this cocoon, it comes forth with newfound abilities that were already inherent. And it breaks out of cocoon and it does something it never thought it would ever do in its life. But the DNA was within. It flew. And that's what creating new patterns of thought enable us to do as spirit-empowered and dwelt people. But that takes time and effort and consistency and intentionality. But the resources are at our disposal by grace. So these new patterns of thought enable us to imagine the possibilities of for goodness within our newfound freedom in Christ. A renewed mind instructs us of what to do with our bodies because our bodies are the outlets for what we have discerned the will of God to be. You know, you will always have a body And God's aim in discipling us and in training us, his aim is that these bodies will prove as I forget the word. Hmm. I got it. An asset. God's aim through discipling us and training us is to bring us to a place where these bodies will prove as assets and not hindrances. And not hindrances. And so next week we'll talk about what it means to bring the body into submission to Christ and how to do that. And how to do that. And I'll share some stories, some successes and failures um, with you. Um, So walking by the Spirit i.e. living supernaturally, takes time. But we must intend to do it for the resources are at our disposal. And that's the first place to start, intention. Intention. And grace will meet us. 
in the act. Not before. Grace will meet us in the act. You know, so many times we want to be strong. We want to feel the strength and the power and the availability and ability of God before the situation comes to pass. That's just not how it works. It comes in the activity. That's faith, which looks like something. That's what it looks like to step out of the boat. Grace will meet us in the act. So when we are born from above, born into the kingdom of heaven, possibilities for living life in concert with the spirit are in our grasp. When we are born from above, born into the kingdom. See, you are born into something. You're, just like you physically, you were born into the world. Spiritually, you were born into the kingdom of heaven. And since then, we have been rediscovering what it means to be God's image. And so now, there are possibilities for us to explore concerning what it means to live in sync with the spirit of God, in concert with him. But how do we learn to live by the Spirit? What does the Scripture teach about this? How, what do we learn to live, how do we learn to live by the Spirit? And simply, I'll read this text for you once again. But simply, we learn to live in concert with the Spirit by consciously and habitually thinking on what God loves, which shapes what we love. We learn by consciously and habitually thinking on what God loves, which shapes what we love. Now, the scripture tells us that those who are controlled by the spirit do what? Set their minds on what the Spirit, what? Desires. You set, you trans, you, you become transformed by setting your mind, that's where we start, by setting our minds on the things that gratify the Spirit, the things that the Spirit desires, that the Spirit wants. So by putting our minds consistently and habitually on the things that God loves, in time, begins to shape the things that we love. As the scripture says, those who live, Romans 8 verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. And those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. So this is done in such a way that in time, Godly behaviors become instinctive, automatic. So the question um, that I ask myself from time to time is, Ron, what are you consistently setting your mind on? What are you consistently setting your mind on? What do you have before your mind on a regular basis? Because we have a choice where to place our minds. We have a choice. It's not easy, but we have a choice. Um, So mark down Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. Ephesians chapter, we're not going to read it, but just mark it down. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. It just talks about change, renewing the mind, change, overcoming some of those negative instinctives. So I would like to just um, show an illustration here and talk through it briefly as we're talking about um, changing um, internally and externally, cultivating a mind for God. Uh, Let's look at this um, illustration, and uh, we'll talk through this. So uh, this is my artwork, guys. 
All right, so that little lumpy thing, that's a brain. That's a brain. Now, your brain is an organ, just like your skin or your intestines or your colon. It's an organ. Your brain is an organ. And this organ's function is to communicate with the body and to project information into your stream of consciousness. So where it says stream of consciousness, just think thoughts. Thoughts. So how does the brain work? It receives information that has been attained in the past and pushes that information into your stream of consciousness, into your thought life. It receives information from the world, from the environment, from what it sees, what it smells, what it hears, what it feels. It pushes that information into your stream of consciousness. It receives information from your body and pushes that information into your stream of consciousness. What do you have? A lot of chaotic stuff. Now, within your stream of consciousness from your brain, which is an organ, its job is to push all this information here. A lot of bad things come into there. Lots of bad things. Now, since all this bad stuff comes into your stream of consciousness, you don't say, oh, all this bad stuff is in my mind. I'm such a bad person. But you may do that. But if your brain is an organ and you think about how it brings this information to your stream of consciousness, look at it like your intestines. You come in here, you're gassy, you know, and, you know, you find yourself, like, passing, look, you know, gas, and people around you smell you. You don't say, I'm such a stinky person. I just can't help myself. I'm just stinky, you know. Do you degrade yourself based on the natural function of your body? Do you? Do you degrade yourself based on the natural function of your body? Sometimes we emit, emit these bad smells come out of us. But I don't judge myself based on my body's emissions. We're going somewhere. Because that's what my body's supposed to do. And your brain does that. But your personhood, yourself, is able to project information into the stream of consciousness. You're able to put thoughts there and dwell on them. You can either choose to do that or you could let this, all this information from the past and from the world go through and you can find yourself homing in yourself, your personhood, homing in on some of these unproductive things. Or you could begin cultivating a mind for God by taking truth and inserting it there. You follow me? All right, moving forward. Isn't that good? That's helpful. That's helpful. All right, so love your brains, love your bodies. All right. So question, how do we develop, how do we practice regulating the mind for God? How do we develop and practice regulating the mind of God 
Now that we have this information about how our brains are pushing some of this negative um, um, information from the past, also positive information is coming from the past, from the world, from the body, it's pushing this in there. And so how do we as a self, as a person, um, begin to cultivate the mind, the stream of consciousness for God? And the way we go about doing that is planning to consistently concentrate the mind on what the spirit wants. And we do that through ways such as meditating in the word of God, uh, intentionally thinking on what is good. We read that earlier in Philippians 4 9. One way we go about doing that is memorizing God's truth. Um, And as we stated before, as it concerns building habits, we start small and we make incremental changes. That's why we began today talking about the 1% adjustments because in time they lead to substantial change. So we want to start small, memorizing God's word, um, setting the mind on what is good, just thinking about truth. Now, building habits is tiring. And you know that if you ever tried to cultivate exercise in your life. Now, building habits is tiring. Um, But as we habitually set our minds on what the Spirit desires, eventually we will become the kinds of people who embody the Spirit's characteristics and submit to His inclinations. We will become the kind of people who are able to do the will of God. This is life. This is peace. This is growth in practical righteousness. And as maturing disciples in the kingdom of heaven, we can be assured, as Psalm 37, 23, 24 says, it says, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. It's going to be all right. It's going to really be all right. Um, so, goodness. Um, so, what will it take? It will take sustained action over the course of time in spite of failure. You don't give up because you mess up. It will, it will take sustained action over the course of time in spite of failure. I'm sure you've heard the statement, um, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Have you heard that? Okay. So, behold, I say unto you, <laughs> if at first you don't succeed, Don't try, try again. Find out why you didn't succeed. Make an adjustment and then try again. If you were blasting rockets into outer space and if at first you didn't succeed, you just go throw another one up there (laughs) with a human being inside? No, you're going to figure out what's wrong. Why why didn't it work out this time? And you're going to make adjustments and you're going to try again. So I want to tell you a story, a quick story. Um, In 1809, after um, an expedition of Lewis and Clark, two men stayed behind in in America doing some exploring. Um, And one man, his name is John Coulter, and the other man, his name is John Potts. John Coulter was... um, a real expedition is, you know, he loved to explore. And he was the first guy who saw the geysers at Yellowstone Park. Not the first guy, the first um, Caucasian American to see it. Because um, the Native Americans saw it first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and so... And so they they stayed behind. And so when they left, they were exploring. So he and John Potts, John Coulter and John Potts, they were on the Jefferson River. 
in their canoes. And suddenly they found themselves surrounded by hundreds of um, Blackfeet um, Indians or Blackfeet Native Americans or whatever they were, people were trying to call them. Um, and so, but this, this tribe here didn't um, perform trades with, with, with the foreigners. And so they were, they were really vicious. And they made these guys bring their canoes to the shore. Either come or be killed. And John Potts figured he would try to get away. And so he was struck down and died. But John Coulter came ashore. And when he came ashore, they stripped him. They took all of his possessions. They stripped him butt naked. And they, they figured that they would um, hunt after him. Like they would give him, give him a few feet just to run. And they would hunt him down. And so that's what they did. And they gave him some, a few feet away, and they told him that he could run as fast as he could, as far as he could. And um, they let him get a head start. And as he ran, you know, he didn't have any shoes on. There's sharp rocks around, branches and everything. He's, he's butt naked. And so he, he runs through this wooded area upon these rocks, and they begin to chase after him. And he was a fast runner. And so he ran a few miles, like three miles, and he, he was trying to see if he could hear anyone coming behind him, and the sound of the yelling had diminished. And But there was like one guy who was still on his trail. He's cut up his feet and so forth, and when he turned around to see this guy who was on his trail, the guy threw a spear at him. And, and as he threw the spear, he himself fell down. The, 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 uh, uh, the pursuer fell and so John, uh, since the spear missed him, got the spear, ran after this guy, and nailed him to the ground. And he continued to run. The guy had a, like a little blanket on him. He took that with him, um, began running, and he, he found a beaver um, base. And so he ends up hiding in that while the pursuers came. And so they came to the area, and, and they looked around. They did not see him. They couldn't find him. And so he outsmarted them, and they left. And he didn't leave from under that beaver dam until it was night. And he trekked over 156 miles. It took him almost 11 days to get back to the trading post there. And when he arrived at the trading post, his, his face was bloody. His feet were bloody. Um, he was half dead, they say. He had survived from eating roots and things like that. And he was just in bad condition. But he made it. And at that time, he became a legend. And someone had even written, wrote a story on him. Um, the story kind of changes in regards to how many miles he went. But someone wrote a story on him, and it's called um, 156 Miles Butt Naked. <laughs> So what's the point of that story? <laughs> uh, I sum it up in one word. Persevere. 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 So lastly, a call to remembrance. And we're going to get out of here. Um, Romans 8, 5. Call to remembrance. Um, 5 through 9. I just want to read the verses that Cheryl read before. And then um, we'll close. And the verses are Romans 8, 5 through 9. It says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed, the Spirit of Christ lives in you. The Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Joshua 1.8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Now, I just want to pause right quick and make one statement. This verse promised you more than a college education. 
Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. See that consistency, habitual habits. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that's written therein. Then you'll be prosperous prosperous and successful. Psalm 1-3, 1, 1, verse 1 through 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way. I'm King James. Um, Verse 2, but this person's delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And we see the results in verse 3. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Leaf does not wither. Whatever it does prospers. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by renewing your mind so you can be able to attest and approve what the will of God is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And finally, finally, brothers and sisters, I just want you to take this home with you. As we've just been talking about this entire time, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything, if anything is excellent, if anything is praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you've learned and received and heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Saints, the habit of renewing the mind is not built overnight. We will either sustain a habit or replace it through consistent, intentional decisions made one after another. Consistent, intentional decisions. And as said before, no habit is constructed apart from a plan, concentrated intention, consistency, and anticipated failure. Plan for it. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the companionship of his Holy Spirit be with you. Amen.